So we've talked about over, I'll give you a little bit of a review over the past few weeks as we've introduced the book of Romans, uh, that Paul's primary topic in in, uh, in in this first chapter, in these first three chapters in this book, and maybe an overarching theme, is not so much the presentation of the gospel, as we've talked about. The gospel is in the book of Romans, but that what Paul is trying to do is bring unity between or with uh, three uh, groups of people that make up his audience, the Jews, the Gentiles, and then the proselytes, the, the, new, the new Christians that either fit in, in either one of the categories, the new folks. He's trying to bring unity. I would, I would like to say that that is partly right, but that Paul tells us in chapter 1 what his heart is. That the idea of unity, of course, is, uh, uh, is a passageway for Paul to get to his main point where it stands in the way of Paul's uh, life theme. He tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that he is eager to preach the gospel to all who are at Rome. For the gospel is the power of God for, he says, everyone who believes. What's Paul's eagerness? To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the barbarian. Paul's eager for the power of the gospel to be released from that place. And Rome finds itself at the center of the known universe at that time. It's an it extremely important place. Because if they get it in Rome, then from Rome, Everyone can hear the gospel. And you have to imagine the, the strategy of our enemy. That if Paul believes that the gospel would sound forth from that place, the enemy would like to stop the gospel from sounding forth from that place. And how would he do that? Oh, how has he always done it? If in a room like this he can make the older generation distrust the younger generation, if he can make one ethnic group dislike another ethnic group, if he can divide us, then the gospel stops. If you've ever been a part of, it could be any sort of division, but in church division, it's especially effective. In a divided church, a couple of things are certain. Where one group is fighting against another church over doctrine or uh, uh, preferences and worship styles, those kinds of things. We can be certain of, of a couple of things. That the children who are present in the midst of church division, when they graduate from high school, they're never going to go to church again. Because of what they sing. And that nobody's telling their neighbors and their workmates to come to church. In the midst of division, we don't like our church. And the next generation despises the church and therefore despises the gospel. So why does Paul want to bring about unity with this group? Why does he want to stop the infighting between the Jews and the Gentiles so that the proselytes, the, the new converts, which would be the children, can 
experience the gospel and so that the gospel can sound forth from that place. Because Paul is eager that the gospel would be preached for the gospel is the power of God. If we'll let it loose. He wants, to, he wants the gospel to be preached. And in order for that to happen, he's got to bring these people together. He's got to get their, their fighting to stop. So how does Paul propose to stop their fighting? Romans chapter 3. We're going to read a long passage this morning. Verse 1 through Oh, I think on your screen it's going to be 18, so you're going to have to look on, uh, you're going to have to look into your Bible to get the last two verses because I added some. He says this, how does, he, how does he bring them together? Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians are asking? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews uh, were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? They're having this conversation with Paul. Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were, in li- were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if in our unrighteousness, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous. Righteous to, infl- to, to be mad at us, to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, Paul says. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned? Listen to this phrase. Why am I still being, why is God still mad at me? And why do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. Here's the unity. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Listen, this is a question that, that everybody asks. What's the point? What's the advantage? Why is God mad at me? Are we Jews any better off? And here's, here's Paul's news. He's positive <laughs> that the state of mankind is very, very negative. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, males and females, the guy sitting in your chair and the lady sitting in the chair next to you, And even that one over there. All, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And here's where he gets ugly. A fly just flew by my head. I'm deathly, afear, I'm d- deathly afraid of bugs flying in my ear. So... If that happens, get ready. We're, we're going to have a come-to-Jesus moment. It's going to get Pentecostal in here. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Say no one. Turn to your neighbor and say not you. Point at yourself and say not even me. Their throat, and this is where it gets ugly, your throat is an open grave. And you use your tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. There's where we could slip up. You have to enunciate asps. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in their path. Are ruin and misery. My path and the way of peace I have not known. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen to this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks of those under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world, this is unity. And the whole world, take a deep breath may be accountable to God. What brings us together? In, when, uh, when I've done mediation uh, con- uh, conversations with uh, couples or uh, uh, friendships, we begin mediation by looking for common ground. Like you sit down and you say, okay, we know what divides you. <laughs> Let's calm down. We know that you, you don't like that person for all the negative things that you've called uh, out in them. And normally in mediation, we look for, you, you, you'll ask, you say, okay, Let's stop with the negativity. What is one thing that you really like about the person beside you? We have to find common ground in positivity. Paul does the opposite of that. He draws the common ground, the unity factor between these two groups from the bottom of the barrel. He calls out their negativity, their shared state of what he says in 11 through 18, their shared state of misery and worthlessness. But also the shared state of what every human being who wakes up in a bed or on the floor, on a bench or in a cot, every human being wakes up and just wants to feel better. Everybody. What advantage is it, he says in the beginning. Every human being wakes up and wants to be okay. Every human being looks at the stars and whatever God might be or little g or big g deity and wishes and hopes, dreams for approval. That, that would be your key word. What do we all want? I want approval. I want validation. 
I want to I know that I am okay. I want God to like me. I want to like me. We seek that by different means. Here's some teaching. Do you see this fly? I, got, I had it in my hand. This is on the live stream. If you're watching live with us, you might not have been able to see that. That was my Miyagi moment. We seek this uh, by different means. Somewhat. So I'm going to give you some G words. And if you want to write these down, these would be good for notes. We seek approval. We seek validation uh, by giving gifts to the gods. The religious people uh, uh, give gifts to the gods. Whether it's sacrifices or showing up to church. Giving your tithes and offerings, which we would love for you to do. But we give gifts to our God. In order for our God to dislike us, that we can wake up in the morning and God would say, I approve of you. We also do, here's your second G word, we also do good works. This is so I can wake up in the morning and feel good and know that God likes me. This is obedience. These would be the wrong motives. But just so God would like me, so that God would validate my life and so that I can just feel better. Lastly, religious people offer guilt. It's your third G word. It's probably the most common in the church world that somehow if I feel guilty enough, God will approve of me or at least he'll feel sorry for me and say, it's okay. Come on. (laughs) It's not that bad. So gifts, good works, and guilt. The toolbox is a little bit uh, shallower for the unreligious people. We've become really skilled at giving uh, religious people a number of G's so they can be better. But for unreligious people, they have good works as well. If I can just be gooder than the people around me, then I can wake up in the morning and feel better about myself. We would say also second G would be getting ahead. This would be, I'm going to go into this a little bit more in just a minute, uh, comparing ourselves to other people. This is something that you see both with the Jews and the Gentiles in chapter 1 and chapter 2, getting ahead. If I can just try harder, if I can outrun the bad in my life, somehow I'll capture that approval of the people around me, of the heavens, of the universe. But thirdly, and you really saw this in chapter 1, without the sense of the approval of God, the guilt of people becomes so heavy that they just give up. You really see that with the uh, non-religious folks that Paul addresses in chapter 1, that they just give up and give themselves over to uh, the sin that encroaches on them. The second thing that you'll see that unites us all is that we, every man, woman, caught, bed, bench, everybody minimizes sin. This really starts to set up why Paul is so explicit about sin. Everybody minimizes sin. We minimize sin universally, all of us, by comparing ourselves to other people. These are going to be C words. By comparing ourselves, at least, (laughs) at least I'm not as bad as the lady I saw walking into the hotel room 
last night at midnight. At least I'm not as bad as the junkie I saw passed out on the street. And even, even that dude compares himself to someone who he or they deem worse off than themselves. Religious people are extremely skilled at the comparison game to feel better about themselves and to minimize their sin. The second C word is covering up. This has been happening since the Garden of Eden, and even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you know that Adam and Eve used a fig leaf. Our fig leaves are just more expensive, ornate, and larger. Also that we can minimize sin and feel better about ourselves. I just want to feel better. This is, I guarantee you, if you thought when you woke up, when you, we w- woke up this morning, if you, were th- if you were thinking about your place on this earth and in time, you just want to feel okay. Comparison, covering up, and then ultimately copping out. So I spent a lot of time overseas uh, in my early ministry, uh, teaching and preaching to uh, in a- atheistic cultures. Something that I found in sharing the gospel with people who had chosen not to believe in God, this idea of copping out was, I think best described as breaking up with God before he breaks up with me. I'm, I'm looking at some of the guys in the room who've done that. <laughs> I'm going to break up with God before he breaks up with me. I have this sense that God is disappointed or angry with me, So I'm going to reject him before he can reject me. And I can't tell you how many conversations with atheists that that I've had where this has come out that I really just, if God doesn't like me, kind of poo on him. Because this is just giving up. There's no way for me to have the validation that I wish I deserved, that I long for the approval And so I'm just going to break up with God. I'm copping out. So whether through piousness or perversion, we're all struggling with the same stuff. You see, this is mediation. Paul's got these groups. He said, so who's worse than who? Ah, you're gross and you're gross. Boy, we all have the same longing. And we all have this suspicion. Listen. We all have the same suspicion that I'm not okay. That makes what Paul says in 11, in verse 11 through 18, so super scary. Because normally we want to sit in front of somebody if they're feeling, it's like, I just don't feel like I'm okay. And what do we do? We say, we tap on the knee and say, you're okay, sweetie. No, no, no. It's not nearly as bad as you think it is. So he's got them together. We're all in the same boat. We all wake up and want approval from God. 
We all want to kind of mask or minimize sin. (laughs) And then he launches into 11 to 18 and says, do you know why you feel like you're not okay? Because you're not. You want to know why sin feels like it's a big deal? Because it is. You want to know how bad it really is? It's much, much worse than you can even imagine. I want to let that sink in for just a second. The language that he uses of venom, you know, validation. I feel like I'm worthless. And what does Paul say? You are. I feel miserable. You should be. Years ago, you want to know what he's doing here? Don't unlock. Don't ring. Uh, at the beginning of my ministry, I became friends with a, uh, a young man who was, uh, had been the son of uh, some missionaries. And uh, mom and dad went to Russia and took their fresh teenage son with them. And while they were sharing the gospel they, and, and doing great at planting this church, they didn't realize that the area where they were planting this church was inundated with drugs. And they they missed the fact that their son had started experimenting and the experimentation uh, with the drugs had turned on turned into a full-on addiction when they realized it they uh, cut their ties and brought him home to try and get him back on the right track and they came to the church where Rena and I were attending and uh this young man and I became friends and attempt to try and help him out of the situation, but no one realized that secretly he was still nursing this habit. What began with pot ended up with meth, and it had unraveled this young man's life. So one night, uh, the mother and father called and asked if I, along with other influential people in this kid's life, would uh, sit around in a room and uh, try and intervene in his situation. You might have been a part of something like this in the past. So we waited for him to sober up, and uh, the leader of the intervention Uh, stood up as the young man came out of the bedroom and he placed a phone on the table at the center of the room. The young man looked and he looked around the room and everyone had their statements prepared to share the truth with him about how his addiction was affecting him and how it was affecting us, his friends and his family. The young man knew exactly what was going to happen. Other uh, of his addicted friends had been through a similar thing. And he was not about to sit through that kind of a situation. He looked at the phone and he started to walk out. And the, the leader of the intervention looked at him and said, If you walk out of this room, 
you will lose everyone who loves you. This is the end. There's only one way out of this room with your friends and family. And it's on the table. We'll explain to you in a minute what that is. We proceeded uh, to read our, uh, our letters to this young man, explaining to him what we'd seen drugs do to him. And as we're looking on, he's losing his hair and his teeth are falling out. His figure has become gaunt. And with every letter, his response back is, I don't see what you see. Why are you making such a big deal out of this? I just stole the once or the twice. Why don't you love me? He stood and began to stomp out of the room. Everyone here hates me. We said what Paul is saying. It's truth. Truth is not hate. There's no one in this world that loves you more than we love you in this room. And we are unwilling to watch you kill yourself with this addiction. You're killing yourself. That's what Paul's doing. So if, if you're brand new to the Bible and you're reading this and you're like, why is God being so hard on me? I thought this was supposed to be good news. Gospel means good news. There is no good news without bad news. And if that's true, then you're about to hear the best news of your life. But before you'll receive the good news, you have to accept that sin is much, much worse than anyone has ever made it out to be. It is killing mankind. Verse 21 to 25, if we're ready, begins Paul's good news. I, I once heard, back to unity real quick, because I, I, I want us to tie that up, tie up the fact that Paul is bringing this, these two groups together. I once heard uh, a preacher talk about, fel define fellowship as we are all, as human beings, on the same ship. Fellow ship. Pithy. Paul has the same thought in mind. We're all on the same sinking ship. Not as pithy. So he just brought them together. You're on the same ship. And should feel the same desperation. He wants to bring that. He doesn't want to release that with anything else but one singular lifeline, 
And this is what he says. In verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The Bible's always been talking about this. But now you see it. It's been manifested. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's the phone on the table. For all those who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same sinking ship. And all are justified by His grace as a free gift. That God wants to give this to you. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. We're going to define that in a minute, but let that stick with you. What a weird word. We don't use that word. As a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God's, God's forgiveness, his patience, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, the, he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Friends and family, listen to this. The thing you woke up this morning desperately longing for, to feel better about your life, for the approval of the heavens, for your God to look down on you and say, I love you and I accept you, you can have in Christ Jesus. He's not withholding that from you. He's telling you the truth about sin. It's much worse than you thought it was. But if sin is much worse than you thought it was, Jesus is so much better than you ever dreamed possible. And he says, in Christ Jesus, you can have it. All of your dreams can come true. He uses two words to describe that. The first is propitiation. Say propitiation. That's an Old Testament word. It's uh, in, in the Greek, it's propitiation. I, I had a lisp as a child, so some of these words just mess me up. <laughs> propitiation was actually in the Old Testament. It's called the, the, in, in the sacrificial offering for sins uh, was called the mercy seat of God. So propitiation happened on the mercy seat, which was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. And if you've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know that the lid to the Ark of the Covenant is the one with the two angel, angels with the wings facing one another. And this is where the sacrifice was offered. It represented the presence of God, and the priest would come in and offer the sacrifice on the lid. And the, the Ark of the Covenant had uh, the Ten Commandments and some manna from back in the day. But it represented the presence of God. He says that Jesus was offered as a propitiation for our sins. So the Jew would hear that every year I go and I offer a bull or a goat uh, to roll my sin forward. Like I say, God's going God's to be patient with me a little bit longer because I offered some gifts to him. But the propitiation is that the presence of God then descended and said, I will 
be the sacrifice, not to roll your sin forward, but to deal with your sin once and for all. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. As the presence of God, in the presence of God, in your place. That's the gospel. That we're not going to roll your sin forward anymore. We're going to offer you something even better. And the second word is what the better is. Justification. Normally, when we talk about justification, it's self-justification. And that's when we make excuses. Right? If you're a teacher, you know you have kids that are trying to justify their behavior. The total misunderstanding. What justification is, is not, rather, is not uh, God dismissing the charges against you. It's not the expunging of your charges or your record to say God says, ah, it's not that big of a deal. We're just going to turn the page and pretend like that didn't happen. No. That is, rather, justification happens when God transfers the charges for your sin to Jesus. So that when God looks at your record, when he opens your file, he doesn't see your past charges. He sees nothing at all. And here's, here's a good definition. Justification is just as if I'd... See that? Just as if I'd never sinned. Because your charges have been transferred to Jesus. And he paid the debt for you. So that the thing that you woke up this morning longing for, you can have. So that when you come before the presence of God, justified, you'll hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, but I did this, I have this. No, 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 all that's gone. It's been transferred, it's been paid. How good does that sound? And universally, as the Jews, Gentiles sitting together, and they're like, that's what I want. I think that's what my neighbor wants. I think that's what all people want. That's what we're all so afraid that we can't have because I've never been able to give it to myself. I've never been able to forgive myself and it actually feel like I'm forgiven. I've never been able to do enough to let myself off the hook. But God can. and He's offering that to you. This may be the first time you've ever heard anything like this, that God wants to forgive you. He wants to justify you. He wants to give you your heart. He doesn't want to withhold it. He wants to give you your heart's desire. So how do I do that? Okay, I'm in. I mean, I, sure, I, I, I would love that. How do I pick up the phone? How do I make that call? You say, this is the only way. You say, the only way is Jesus. Okay, how do I access that? He says, 
through faith. In verse 22, he says, by faith, I believe, in 26. And he says, by faith in Jesus. So what is faith? What is faith? Band, you can come up. Faith is not believing. Not mainly, not only believing. James says that even the demons believe in God, believe in Jesus. It's not even acknowledging. Like, I get it. Yeah. If you've ever sat with somebody and you're like, do you get it? I, yeah, I, I acknowledge that what you're saying is true. Sin is a big deal. And Jesus is the only way. You'll notice that in these three descriptions of faith, they are all, I'm gonna, we're going to get gr- grammatical and I'm going to have some teachers that are going to pull me aside and say that I've totally chopped this up. They're all prepositional phrases. Through, by, and in. To this point, if you, if you haven't known Jesus, to this point in your life, you haven't had a preposition. There's no answer. There's no, there's no movement. I have no way out from where I am to another state of being or another thing. Try everything. What Paul says here is by faith, through faith, in faith, in Jesus, you can change your state of being from being worthless to full value, miserable to joy, lost to found. He's asking you to change your preposition. Whatever you're through, by, or in has been, he's asking you to connect yourself to Jesus as the only way. Paul says in, or uh, Luke rather says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there is no other name by which man can be saved but by the name of Jesus. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus, this is the most arrogant statement that anybody could have ever made if it's not true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good news. He's asking, if you don't know Jesus in, in this room today, if you have not changed your preposition, If you woke up this morning and thought, I just, I, I want God, I want God to want me. Will you hear me say, he does. And the way to him is by faith in Jesus. If, and listen, this is, this is how we end. I don't know if they're coming out. We're going to keep stretching this out. You just let me know. Fast walking. There you go, guys. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, 
Paul is pleading with you. He's begging you. To admit the truth that you are not okay. And that the only way, the only way is Jesus Christ. If you've forgotten that, friends and family, and you just kind of went back to trying to figure it out on your own, the call of Paul in this text is for you to say, Jesus is it. I really want to make a call. We're going to take communion together. You can do this as you take communion. Or you can come up and, and kneel at the altar. This is, a, this is a chance for us to commit our lives to Christ or recommit our lives to Jesus. As we take the communion and place it on our tongues, that Jesus, hear Jesus say, I want to give you everything. I want to give it to you. Would you, if you would stand with me. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne, toward the mercy seat. May we see in that place that in you we can have our wildest dreams. Approval, validation, acceptance. That you want to bring us out of our sin and into life in you. Would you do that even now? In Jesus' name.